0: Austin Gale here, the host of 241 Drafts. Just wanted to throw out that we will not be airing the Herm Edwards interview at the back end of the podcast. We recorded the interview with the Arizona State head coach on June 9th before the allegations came out against Arizona State and its football program. I know there's a little bit of confusion. Mike Renner and I refer to the interview throughout the podcast. However, we are choosing not to air the interview with Herm Edwards. Again, I apologize for the confusion. Welcome in to two foreign drafts Austin Gale here the host of two foreign drafts a rookies and draft prospects podcast today on the show We're gonna look at traits and stats advanced stats here at PFF that matter when you're scouting and or evaluating defensive players We did that for the offensive players the previous week We're gonna look at defensive players this week and at the back end of the podcast. I interview current Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards Let's get it Mike, we have a new brand of smelling salts, and it might be the most fantastic thing we've ever brought to the podcast. I
1: was going to say, there's something new on the table here.
0: There is something new. It is hype dust. Hype dust was brought to you, and here's part of my shout outs. I'm going to add this to the front of the podcast now. I got an updates and shout out section on the podcast now, but I'm going to tease a shout out here. Joel on Instagram at Joel wears Crocs heard that we need some smelling salts. And he says, buddy, I got these types that I use when I lift. They're fantastic. He sends in the hype dust. Let me read these things. Uh, instructions on how to use one shake bottle two partially open cap three inhale from one to two inches away four lift heavy five don't die we didn't lift heavy tbd and whether or not i'll die we're not gonna. but i didn't partially open the cap i went full cap open yeah. Ooh, took that one on the chest, dude. These are absolutely fantastic. So you shake the bottle and sniff and you get 100 sniffs. I mean, you've never mind. I was going to make 100, sn- 100 sniffs is high volume. <laughs> 100 sniffs on is high one,
1: volume. You don't have to go there. But I will say it felt like it just replaced my bloodstream. Like, uh, there's something <laughs> else flowing through my veins. Right now. As soon just as I sniff it, it really was. So we had the we had some other we had the one what was the what was the medical grade you had? You had no, you had the the bottle. Oh, yeah. The rhino ones. Rhino whatever. ones. Yeah. We had the medical grade ones. These ones ate to another one. Dude, really hype dust is high absolutely dust. absurd. I am all, I'm ready to lift. I might lift something here. We mm-hmm. also
0: still have the candles from our guy who sent the candles. We got Campbell Camel's helmet. We continue to add to the podcast thing here. We are excited to go. Other things I have here, some other shout outs. Ben Lindsay, analyst here at PFF. You can follow him on um. Twitter at PFF underscore Lindsay. He's getting married this week, hey. and I'm in his wedding. It's going to be exciting. Big shout out to Ben Lindsay. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. I'm going to shout this guy out again. He was the new producer added to the Two Foreign Drafts podcast. I said I didn't know his Twitter when I brought him up on the last episode. It's Max Chadwick. You can follow him on Twitter at Chad underscore Maxwick. A little flip of the first content there, which you love to see. New producer here on Two Foreign Drafts. And big update, big shout out here. Officially submitted the rebrand doc. To avid two foreign drafts listeners, Chris Collinsworth and Neil Hornsby, oh. reviewing it as we speak, as we continue to march forward on a rebrand. A lot of exciting stuff down the pike here. Really excited for two foreign drafts. We're recording this episode, by the way, on June 14th, 2021. June 14th, 2021. Trying to record these things in advance as we prepare for an absolute center of a summer. Speaking of which, you had some boys
1: in town this past weekend.
0: Oh, yeah. So let's us some, lets us friends. some fruitful stories for sure.
1: Yeah, it was great. We, uh, I don't know, we just the same shit we always do. Just <laughs> the same stuff we always do. Uh, I showed him Cincinnati. I showed him a good time. We went to your pool Yeah, and you wrestled my friend. That's true.
0: Uh, <laughs> one of your friends... You challenged me to wrestle. It was a, it was a Boise Saturday, is what it was. You guys were arm wrestling, and I was like, I was not arm wrestling. No, he, arm. Was arm okay, wrestling he was arm wrestling, and then he was wrestling. like, let's wrestle, and I was like, I don't know if you're ready for this. Like, I, I wrestled a little bit in college, I mean, middle school and high school, and it's like, oh man, he had like 150 pounds on him. Me maybe he's like 315. Yeah, 315. But we got the video. Quinn's gonna put the video. If you're watching on YouTube, Quinn, throw this video up. Low man wins in this video. Low man wins. He also just, like, no technique whatsoever. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was doing, which is you, you just hate to see. This is yeah. the second victim I've taken in Cincinnati. My drunk wrestling matches, I'm 2-0. I don't have that other video, I don't think. But 2-0 here in Cincinnati. 2-0 here in Cincinnati. And you also had a decent story we wanted to bring
1: up. Oh, uh, yeah. So, Sunday, this is after, I don't know, like two days of, after multiple days of drinking with my friends. We go out to brunch, um, and, and they leave uh, Boomtown Biscuits and Whiskey if you're ever in Cincinnati. Best brunch place in Cincinnati. It was fantastic. But... Uh, as I'm getting in my car to leave, it's kind of up in OTR here, kind of not too far uh, from the PFF offices. I get that feeling that everyone dreads, um, and I'm—I know I'm going to have to take shit very quickly. <laughs> it's going to happen soon, and I, immediately in my head, I am calculating how long it's going to take me to get to my back to my place, get up my elevator, and then get into. What's going to be the public bathroom in my apartment complex? Because I know already I'm not making it all the way back to my bathroom. I never get those feelings. This is wild to me. So I am there a block away and I'm like, do I turn around and just go back into Boomtown and be like, hey, I'll run into the bathroom. I decide no, that's a crazy play. Uh, So I'm about a block away in my car and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the PFF office. I'm going to the PFF (laughs) office. I I am like, it is, I'm close enough. Drive over here because that's about two minutes. It's about five minutes to get back to my place. It is. That's that's the kind of time we're working with here. Small, uh, small, small margin of error, man. And so I don't even park in the garage. I park on the street, hop out of my car, sprint into the office. And, and this is I have a radio hit with Ken Brew in Cincinnati at 11. <laughs> it's about 1058 right now running into the office. Thank God I make it. I go into the woman's bathroom because I'm not going to make it to the men's, uh, or i not that I'm not going to make it. I probably could have, just didn't want to. Didn't want to That was. Sh- you, that
0: was. It was not that tight of a window. You could have made chance. a men's.
1: <laughs> but as I'm on the toilet, I get the call from the call. The radio hit. I am start doing the radio hit, and at some point, uh, he's just talking about you know praising PFF. I don't know if you've ever been on with Ken. Yeah, Brew. yeah. Ken Brew loves His PFF. He's an absolute hysterical. Like he says the craziest shit uh, <laughs> every single time I'm on and. Talking about how PFF's in Cincinnati, and I'm like, yeah, I'm actually, you know, in the office right now. And he's like, well, what do you do in the office on the Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Just I didn't have the heart to say. I'm like, you know, just grinding. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Did not I have the That's why I was not going to go through the exact details of why I was in the office. Thank the
0: God. Sunday. Thank God. Spare Ken Brew those details. I think yeah. what's what's interesting is I don't. You bring up emergency situations like that. I don't think I've ever been in that much You're of a joking. dire straight situation uh, that's like a
1: classic oh you had you drank too much the night before and that's like really that happens a lot man not I, a lot I, not a lot like in terms of i don't shit my pants but i've had emergency situations like that all right well let's go ahead and get into it
0: enough enough about that conversation let's go ahead and move to uh people people sometimes like the dating stories this is the opposite we had some just it was a Boise. it was a boys gonna help if this is f- not with our dating life definitely not Definitely not. uh let's start here so we, like we said we're gonna do traits and stats that matter when scouting and evaluating defensive players starting with defensive tackle you take the reins there talk about some of the things that you look for on tape and then i'll bring up some of the stable data that pff has both from nfl to nfl year over year stickiness
1: and then also college to pro a defensive tackle is a big, at least for like NFL evaluators, a big body type position. Are you six two plus with thirty-three plus inch arms and three hundred ten plus pounds? Like that is a big there is a type that guys that evaluators look for at that position and it's size, length, and strength. It's the to go back to the Daniel Jeremiah scouting term, it's an STI position. Yeah. It is a size toughness instincts type of position. Uh it very much matters. Like Those things matter there because you're going to have to hold up to double teams. You're going to have to do a lot of things at the NFL that, you know, 290-pound DT, like a Jalen Twyman, can look awesome at Pitt because he doesn't have two 330-pounders trying to move him off the ball every every play. And once, like the defense, the, the double teams you see at college are just nothing like what you're going to see in the NFL. And so a lot of guys just get to the league. I think a big one that's come to mind or that I've seen in recent years really struggle with jerry tillery their name defensive tackle 290 pounds 6'6 like has the length but he has just not have the size or strength to hold up to double teams it just gets annihilated mm-hmm. and, and that's uh so a lot of times the guys that nfl looks for at that position may not be the most productive but they fit that mold because that's the mold that can get the job done now there are guys outside that mold that maybe undersized, maybe the taller, longer ones who are thinner framed, who can get the job done. But I think if you're the undersized ones, you better be a plus plus athlete. You don't have to be Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's the outlier of outliers, but you better at least be like a Grady Jarrett. You mm-hmm. better at least have that first step. A a uh, gosh, Geno Atkins. You know, if you're going to be the six foot six one defensive tackle, you better be getting up the field off the snap and winning in that manner because. If you're going to be sub-300 pounds, you better be athletic enough. It has to relies on the athleticism. So those are the big things at that position. And I think just anywhere along the defensive line, I do think that is where the production we see at the college level, as well as offense line. That's where production at the college level, in terms of winning repeatedly, one-on-one, translates the most of the NFL. Yeah. If you're winning a lot and you're a plus athlete – Chances are you're still going to do it at the NFL, even if maybe you don't have one sort of tick in your box. Like one, you take every single box the NFL is looking for.
0: I think the the explosiveness is key. I think winning early in the snap is something I say a home when you're looking at defensive tackles that can be those three down type of players mm-hmm. and actually rush the passer successfully in the NFL. Some of the grades or some of the metrics that are super stable are very very much correspondent with what you said. Pass rush grade on those true pass rush opportunities, no play action, no screens, no RPOs. You look at some of the guys that perform well in those areas last year: Milton Williams, Logan Hall is a guy that you talked about as an you know a guy for the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Christian Barmore ranked inside the top. 10. A little tease here, Jermaine Lole, Arizona State defensive tackle that Herm Edwards sings his praises. Man, he just keeps winning. Just keeps winning there at Arizona State. Another one, too is just overall pass rush win rate and pass rush grade. Like those, even without bringing the sample down to true pass rushers or without play action, has very high predictive power, very high stickiness year over year at the collegiate level and in the NFL. Other guys that rank in the top five there, Christian Barmer, Milton Williams, even Haskell Garrett, who's a little bit of an older player there for Ohio State, but still had a lot of success from a pass rush win rate perspective this past year. What are the unstable metrics? A lot of people bring up sacks at defensive tackle and at edge. Sack percentage is one of the more unstable metrics year over year, especially going from college to the NFL. A lot of people brought up with uh, Odafe Owe, the Penn State edge defender. It's like, oh, he had no sacks. you think he's ever going to translate? It's like looking at his pass rush grade and how that's improved is so much more important than actual sack rate. Finishing the play and those types of things, um, just not, not as sticky, not as stable as some of these other things. You want to look at wins. You want to look at wins, especially when you can you know, um, sort it down to true pass rushes or without play action. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of these
1: metrics translate to the NFL. It, Anything it's kind of like line drive rate in baseball the more you hit line drives a lot of times you hit a line drive and it goes right to like left fielder shit like that sometimes a lot of where it ends up is luck mm-hmm. but you want to look at how often the guys making solid contact the more you make solid contact the more you're going to relate to hits yep and the more you beat offensive linemen, the more that's going to end up in sacks. Not
0: every single line drive is going to be a base hit. Sometimes it's going to go right to the third baseman or whatever, but I, or the left fielder, like you said. But if you're consistently hitting line drives or if you're consistently beating the offensive lineman ahead of you, that's going to translate to more disruption. That's going to translate to, obviously, more sacks, more pressures on the quarterback. Shall we now jump to edge defender? Yeah, there's a lot of
1: similar things there. Yep. A lot of similar things. But I do think edge has a a wider spread of body types, a lot of di- a lot of more different ways to win along the edge where you can have a guy who's you can have a guy who runs a four five and a guy who runs a four nine both be uber productive edge rushers like that it's it doesn't necessarily have one way to win so I think a big thing to ask anytime or I ask myself anytime you're watching a defensive end or edge sort of prospect is how do they win what is what type of edge rusher are they? Are there, there now? There are guys who are kind of the all around, can beat you any which way. Those are the guys you obviously want the you know Khalil Max of the world, who who can whatever do it all. JJ Watson the world, who can do it all. But there are some that are you know power rushers, the Cameron Jordans of the world, guys who are going to make you bring your lunch pail every single down because they're going to be trying to go through your chest and they're going to be trying to play that game. When you're that type of edge rusher, you don't need to run a four six. You know, you don't need necessarily this elite get off. Now, obviously, always having an elite get off, the burst is always something that matters. But you need strength, you need length. And I do think bend is always something that you want. You can't play stiff off the edge and expect to win. You can't really play stiff anywhere a <laughs> football field and expect to win. But I, I do think, especially on the edge, like you can be stiff, I think, more so on the interior and still maybe get the job done. But on the edge, bend, being able to get to the side of an offensive lineman and com- and then get yourself free, which is that flexibility. That is kind of a prerequisite no matter what edge rush you're going to be. But length and strength, if you're that power guy, if you are that speed guy, if you are the Brian Burns, if you are going to win in that manner, it's kind of what I just said about the undersized guys at DT. you got to be a plus one. you got to have that elite athleticism. If you don't have elite athleticism and that's the type of edge rush you are, you end up like Shaleek Calhoun, Michigan Mm -hmm. State guy. You end up uh, like, gosh, who was the – Oklahoma guy. I know this is taking it to too much of a degree. But if you – who the hell was that guy from like five years ago? Oklahoma, (laughs) edge rusher, who he didn't even get drafted. But if, (laughs) if you are the guy who wins with speed and quicks at the college level, that's how you win. You're a speed rusher. To do so at the NFL level, you better run like a four-six mm-hmm. or lower. And
0: you, you also need to develop a counter. I mean, we were and having yeah. that conversation with Brian Burns. He was the explosive guy. He was that guy that at 250 pounds could beat you with his first step every single time. And when you look at his film, a lot of his wins are outside rush wins, dipping along the outside shoulder. But... You know, when I had the conversation with him, and I think other people talk about Brian Birds, It's developing that long arm. It's developing that bull rush. It's developing that spin. Because if you don't have a counter, it's gonna be so much more difficult for you to consistently win the NFL when you know people are jump setting you and that type of stuff, and they're getting ahead of your speed rushing sets and know you're this one trick pony. I do think that counter matters, and it matters even more so. I mean, it matters for both sides. It matters for speed rushers and power rushers. I mean, L.J. Collier, L.J. Collier was a pure. Power rusher, and he was damn good at it. You watch that Stanford yeah. game from a few years ago; the guys were throwing dudes around. However, you got to have another move. You got to have an inside move. You got to be able to counter with speed and different things, or else you become that one trick pony. It just gets that much easier for offensive tackles that maybe don't have set versatility to just kind
1: of lock you down. Eric Striker was who I was thinking. Eric Striker, that's, that's a, a deep, deep cut. cut yeah. That is a. Deep I don't know why that popped up, but he was the kind of guy who was just like speed rusher, but then an undersized speed rusher who was just not an elite athlete, and you're not going to even sniff. Often tackles in the NFL. So hype stream,
0: or not hype stream, hype dust will give you 100 sniffs. So, you <laughs> know, that, that, I mean, if Eric Stryker did a little bit more stuff. of hype dust, we might be, be having a different conversation.
1: Uh, but, yeah, more than one way to win. Uh, having, obviously, more than one move is great, but, like, you can develop moves to a degree once you get to the NFL. The elite hands rusher, handsy rushers, they better be, like, if you're going to win that way, if you are going to be a Trey Flowers, we better see it already. Like, the guys who ended up doing that, if you're going to be – Gosh, who was the other Patriot? if You're going to be ah, a terrible. Name hype dust got all up in my, the hype in my brain. Hype dust says you like mentally it's screwed. My I
0: wanted you to speak to more. I think on a previous podcast you've talked about complementary edge defenders, complementary mm-hmm. pass rush skill sets. Where you have a guy who has speed, and on the opposite end you have more of a power types so that way you are pushing people in, like TJ Watt, and Bud Dupree, that kind of stuff. Where you have you know complementary pass rushers, I think you can get away with having those two different types of guys.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do think that is. I don't want to say it's important, but a lot of times you can't have two. Brian Burns, yes. Like, there is still a. There's still you know a lot of defenses. You still have the more of the five tech, seven tech, and then you have more of the nine tech. You know, it, whatever you want to call on your defense, and that's yeah. Rotating guy who, on strength, you have the guy who plays over the tight end or over the tackle in a. Yeah, depending on the strength of formation, the guy who plays out wide no matter what of the tight end of the tackle. So uh, having two guys like that not a lot of, that just doesn't exist at the NFL Yet. We'll
0: see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, before we jump to linebacker, I want to give a shout out to some of the sponsors here, one of which is PFF. Make sure to check out PFF's. fantasy football podcast hosted by Ian Harditz. Get you caught up on all that stuff. Fantasy football's coming back. Fantasy football's coming back. I know a lot of people did not play this past year due to COVID-19 and that heavily affecting the season and the season's preparation, but a lot of opportunity there. Ian Harditz does a fantastic job with the PFF fantasy football podcast. Also, betting content, baby. PFF forecast hosted by George Chahuri and Eric Eager, two of the smartest people at the company. Some of the best bettors at the company as well. If you need betting content for the 2021 NFL season, make sure you check out the PFF forecast. I also mention this Western Southern right here on the helmet here and these uncertain times life is full of questions like when should I start thinking about life insurance but however difficult these questions may be Western Southern can help you answer them Backed by over 130 years of experience together we can look, a- look ahead to leave the unknown behind Western Southern Financial Group life insurance retirement and investments um, let's now jump to someone pointed out recently that I say let's jump to a lot and I need to stop I'm going to cut it right now cutting it right now we're going to say let's pivot to linebackers. Po- linebackers, talk to me about what you look for on tape with linebackers.
1: Oof. There's a lot. Linebacker is the most varied skill set. I think of any... Such a
0: complex position now.
1: Yeah. I, and so, linebackers, just kind of the way the NFL game's evolved. And I talked about this with Steve about how the, the whole field is being utilized more so than ever before. Like, the, the deep zones and deep areas of the football field are under attack constantly. And linebackers are in it a spot in the NFL where they almost have to move like cornerbacks, like the athleticism. And that's why you see safeties transition to linebackers year after year after year, more so like every single year it's like, Oh, college safety. Now he's a linebacker. Like the, you just need that level of athleticism because you're covering the full field nowadays. Like at linebacker, your zones are going deeper and you're having to cover more ground quicker than said at any point in NFL history. And so I just wrote down here, this is going to be maybe bad content, but I wrote down literally like all the things a linebacker is asked to do <laughs> and how these are just not like the things they're asked to do are not necessarily complementary skill sets. They're not, it, there's not like one type that wins at all of these mm-hmm. when, in the running game at linebacker. You have to chase down running backs in the flat. You have to tackle running backs one-on-one in space. You have to be able to stop a running back in the hole one-on-one. You have to take on a pulling guard, take on a fullback lead, take on climbing off the line and shed those blocks. Like the tackle of running back one on one space has so little to do with taking on a fullback in the hole. Like those are just vastly different skill sets. And then yep. you go to coverage. Also, like, vastly different in terms of like
0: the ideal size. You know, like chasing down yes. a running back in the flat and tackling one on one in space, you need to be a certain size, certain level of athleticism. But the other side of that, you know, taking on these offensive linemen, taking on fullback leads, stopping momentum in the hole, yeah. you need to be beefier, you need to be stronger, you also need to be mentally tougher. Like, that yeah. is. Those are all, like I, like, I think those are two, two split, like, like, significant athleticism, sideline mm-hmm. to sideline range, being able to chase down legitimate athletes at the running back position, but also being able to put the hard hat
1: on and, and add some LBs and, and fill the hole. But I think the thing that the, I don't want to say the NFL has realized, but it's more the NFL is coveting, is that, hey, the one-on-one in space stuff, the, the linebacker that can't do that leads to bigger plays than the just fullback and hole. If you get taken out of the hole as a fullback, oh, it's a five, six-yard gain. Mm-hmm. Oops. My bad. If you lose one-on-one space against the running back, that could be a house call. Like those things could lead to far worse results, and so that's why you're having to do, having to move these safeties, linebackers, things that uh, you're. The NFL is prioritizing the things that lead to bigger plays, and especially these in coverage. I'm going to list things like running the seam, uh, reacting to play action, and guarding a deep crosser, manning up on tight ends, manning up on running backs, manning up on slot receivers. Sometimes being able to read route concepts and pattern match, being able to. Click and close to the flat. Click and close on screens. Tackle in space. Like those are, those are more similar skill sets. But those are all these sort of, those are athleticism. That is what's coveted. That's yeah. why your first round running or first round linebackers once again sub four or five. You have guys. to be so much
0: to yeah. be good at linebacker. You have to be ridiculously smart, ridiculously prepared, mm-hmm. tough, mentally tough, physical, athletic. Good size. I mean, it is, again, like I said, I think it's one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. Like after yeah. QB, like it is one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. Yeah. This is you are asked to do so much. You're asked to do so much. What the defensive line is asked to do. So much. What the secondary is the asked to do. Of the defense. It is the quarterback of the defense. It's the quarterback of the defense. Definitely, in my opinion, the second hardest position to play. And I think it's also a big reason why I've had conversations why you know maybe linebackers aren't as valuable. It's just it's so difficult to play. Like it's almost. You know, there's a handful that are are very good in the NFL, a handful at the top of the spectrum. But after that, it, it starts to get this wider pool of
1: it, it replaceable becomes,
0: talent. Not replaceable is not the right word, but where every, no one's a clear-cut leader, <laughs> you know, yeah. where there's not high standard deviations between linebacker 6 and yeah. linebacker 12.
1: It almost depends so much on who your D.C. is. It's almost like an extension. It's like if your linebackers are playing well, it's probably because your D.C. has them prepared well. That's a very Versus like if your linebackers aren't playing well, well, it might mean your D.C. kind of like... Dallas maybe last year. Maybe I mean the defense is like not scheming up the defense or not preparing your defense correctly. Yeah, fair so, enough. Uh, and so what? That's why the NFL what they're covering and what I've come around on since we started this at PFF is like it's only so much instincts can do for you. There's only so much the way you read and process the game can do for you at that position. You better be. You better move like a safety at the least at this point in the NFL to be a a positive impact at that position. There there are not a lot of stable
0: metrics for the linebacker position from college to the NFL. Yeah. There's not a lot of stable metrics for NFL, NFL year over year. I think where we do see some stability compared to more unstable metrics like coverage grade without pressure, coverage grade in single coverage is ball production forcing completion rate if you see linebackers consistently getting their hands on the ball passes defense interceptions mm-hmm. that has some high predictive power also a lot of play in the run run defense grade and run stop percentage also first to contact on run plays has some levels of stability those are players again around the football you have that culmination of what you said running the seam chasing running back in the flat tackling in space one-on-one it's getting the football first and so a lot of that some of that some of that's instincts Block shedding, physical physicality, all toughness. Yeah. But if you're getting to the football, you're having success at the linebacker position. But it's so much easier said than done, and it requires so many more skill sets. Such a variety of skill set
1: that you know it's very it's rare to
0: see a fucking good one, man. <laughs> like yeah. Luke not walking through that door anytime soon. Like that is that is where <clears throat> we're at right now.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why even the NFL themselves, like they just take they are coveting the highest level athletes there because. Basically saying that those other things are too difficult to uh, too difficult to evaluate, but too not sticky. Like they, yeah. they, the other things that usually at other positions you would say, you know, you can rely on working year to year. You can't rely on linebacker. So take the thing you can rely on, and you know is going to ha- stay stable. Which is their <laughs> yeah. How what kind of athlete they are. I, I do think though the other thing that's very can, can be very evident on tape is what they can do uh, from a I guess pass rushing slash taking on blocks perspective. How well do they fare in that regard um now not always you're going to get opportunities like jeremiah was carmo you just didn't see him take on blocks that much so that's not always going to be the case you're always going to be able to properly evaluate it but when you see a guy on a blitz heavy roll and he's doing it at a high level usually that's going to be a good thing for the next level
0: before we jump to the defensive backs, going to bring up Symbol. PFF has partnered with Symbol. S I M B U L L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts. And NFL frenzy is still going on, so whoever lands the top of the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit ten dollars at Symbol slash PFF to earn a free. PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. On to cornerbacks. You're up to bat here. Cornerbacks, where
1: are you looking on tape? Cornerbacks, I know everyone has like the size, length, whatever thresholds. To me, at the end of the day, it comes down to feet, speed, and hips. And yeah, more length helps. Like those other things can help. But if you're going to be that guy at cornerback position, like you're going to be an elite level cornerback, feet, speed, and hips—some of those, some combination of those three—like that is feet being balanced, um, being able to, I guess, always be react- on in a position to react and, and not have that hesitation on your transitions or whatever. And again, these are things that stay constant. Like you, it's difficult to teach a guy that level of balance. Like, it's difficult to teach these things. Like These are kind of almost innate physical traits in the feet, speed, hips regard that that's what makes a cornerback that can play not just man coverage, I, I think also zone coverage at a high level. And then there's obviously other things that you look like size, length, and the physicality, the way you play the position, also very important. But I think if you have the... You're not going to get there if you don't have a solid at least enough combination of those feet speed and hips. Whereas you can overcome you can be 5'9", 180 and be a top you could be a good corner in the NFL, but you can't without in my opinion, feet speed and hips.
0: What do you feel like are some of the maybe overvalued traits or characteristics of cornerback play that maybe other you know other analysts that you've seen kind of value? Do you think there are overvalued things that people are looking at or putting too much stock into? I mean I
1: people talk about cornerbacks and tackling and the way they tackle I, I not to say that it's not important to bring down ball carriers, but it's not what separates you <clears> at the NFL. Level. It's a nice little bonus. Um, I do think length has gotten overvalued to a degree. I, I, I don't think it's that um, necessary, like to the position, mm-hmm. but it. it it kind of does depend on, cornerback is another, we talked about on the offense side, the farther you are away from the ball, it's depending on what you're getting asked to do. And so some schemes, yeah, you need a guy that's just going to be able to press and sit on a Why does he have the line of scrimmage? And so then it does matter. But if that's not what you're going to do, if you're asking a guy to run like a varied role in the NFL, I don't think just having length is a massive, massive value. And I think those guys oftentimes get overdrafted.
0: Looking at some of the metrics that are stable you know, at the collegiate level and then even translate to the NFL is, is coverage grade when you can kind of remove some of the variables. So coverage grade without pressure on the quarterback. Coverage grade on passes longer than three seconds. So you're removing a lot of that that shallow stuff, those quick screens and those things. Coverage grade in single coverage. And then coverage grade controlled by alignment. So outside quarterback versus slot. You look at coverage grade with no pressure. Some guys that stand out, Trevius, Trevius Hodges Tomlinson, the nephew of LaDainian Tomlinson playing at TCU. Smaller guy, but dude, he's got some fun tape. I, I don't know if you you've watched obviously you've watched Tomlinson a decent amount he's got some some fun tape probably projects as a slot player at the next level but man he's had a lot of success the there TCU, at TCU where do
1: they find those just like
0: dude they get dogs they yeah. get absolute dogs every single time like, like he Patterson. is a smaller player but he plays like Tarzan he is a monster another guy Eli Ricks who a lot of people like out of LSU JC Horn ranked inside the top three this past year Patrick Sertan inside the top 10 in coverage grade without pressure and then you look at coverage grade and single coverage Greg Newsom at number one, Kyer Elam at number two, Tomlinson again. Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati has a lot of uh, has had a lot of success. So I do think that looking at some of those stable grades, that's something that I look for coverage grade and coverage grade and single coverage coverage grade at outside cornerback yards allowed per coverage snack controlled by alignment. That's where you can start to see some of these guys that are having early success. But then it comes back to turn on the tape and seeing, who, seeing how these guys win. Because mm-hmm. I think at cornerback, you need to see how you win. Do you win like a bully and you catch people and, and take advantage of that? You know, um, <laughs> you know, um contact after 5 or 5, t- five ten yards, or are you winning? Are you matching mirroring? What are you being asked to do? Yeah. How much man coverage are you playing? There's a lot more that goes into it. All these grades, all these metrics need context. I think sometimes when PFF, you know, when people bring up PFF grades and, and, and have conversations about them, nothing, nothing with them is absolute. Like, even the most stable metrics PFF has aren't absolute because mm-hmm. there's still so many factors and so much more context, regardless of the metric or grade you're even discussing.
1: Yeah, and... and- if I'm you know, evaluating a cornerback, I'm going to watch his man coverage snaps. And this, I talked about this on draft day, that J.C. Horn, I was not surprised when he was the top corner selected because the man coverage skill set is what's covered most by the NFL. That's the probably the rarest uh, thing a cornerback can do is be a good press man cornerback. It's kind of, again, it comes back to you're limiting variables the most when you watch a guy in man coverage because press man no matter what scheme you're in as press man. And that's, and that's maybe a little bit of an, oversimpl- that's an oversimplification, but a lot of, you know, if say you're playing cover two, you know, cover four, whatever, a lot of that is being put in a good position by your defensive coordinator, how they're coaching you to play certain route concepts, whatnot. So there's more, you're adding a layer of coaching and other things to the table and what they're being asked to do that maybe you don't know as an evaluator. But when you're playing press man, it's kind of press man's press man across the board. You, you are one on one against that guy across from you. Are you better than him? Yeah. If you're consistently better than him, like I said, the way J.C. Horn was this past year, that you can almost then rely on being the case, can where, whatever your scheme is. So that's uh, th- that I, I definitely also put more stock in a cornerback's man ability as well. And are we now on to safeties? We are. Let us kick it. This one, this is another STI position. Always is. This one's a big, it it is far more, I think even more so than linebacker. This is kind of a how you see the game type of position. Um, How you, like this is a, if you want football players, you know, everyone says, oh, he's a football player. That dumbass quote that I also use because to just describe a guy who plays the game the way, you know, the right way, safety is a position you want that at. Yeah. Because it matters. You're processing. Your type so at safety, much. too, is football player.
0: You're like, oh man, I like this guy because he's a football player and he sees the game well. I, I think yeah. you, you gravitate towards those guys for sure over even guys that have, you know, obviously, you know, the size and stuff like
1: that. Yeah. And, and you do have to recover here, but you're also seeing more than anyone. You see the entire play is developing in front of you and so you can gain head starts like that the the way you see the game can make you so much faster and play so much faster than a guy who maybe runs a four or three but just it, it matters so much how you are seeing the game at that position so it it, it is a like i said it's a how you process how quickly you process and how kind of physical and the way you play the game matter a lot. I also would throw hips and uh, smoothness and balance, the kind of things we talk about with cornerbacks as well. But like the who's the gosh, I'm oh, just terrible names right out. Alabama safety from two years ago. Xavier Xavier McKinney. Xavier McKinney. Physically, I, I'm not sure there was much on his tape that's just like in terms of like pure physical tools that suggest he's gonna be a great football player besides the way he plays the game of football. Yep. You know, like that, that, that is, this is a position where I think you have a lot of guys like that. I would say that about Harrison Smith, too. You know, name safety. It wasn't, was not anything physically sort of exceptional. Plays the game of football the way you want to play the game of football. Like that, yeah. So this is a position that football players can... I keep saying football players, but those type of guys, I get it, your it matters. The
0: lunch pail types? Or is that what you're saying? Lunch, <laughs> pail, lunch pail types, guys who really
1: get it. Guys, uh, guys I mean, a Football players is, is the broader way of saying and when, it. But and get when, it. You get a, when you get a guy who gets it, and then he runs in like the four threes. Then you get Earl Thomas. Like, that's mm-hmm. when you yeah. have the guys who are. Earl really Thomas
0: bad. is kind of like the crown jewel of the deep safety yeah. position. A guy who like completely understood the game and also had the skill set the to have true. Single high range yeah. and go full on sideline to sideline. In terms of um, you know grades and metrics that do translate, it's another one of those positions where there's not a lot of stickiness there because it's such a low sample size. Like you are targeted a ton at safety. More work needs to be done on how how effective safeties are off ball. A stat a stat that I look at is when you're on the football field, how often are you giving up? Big, how often is the defense giving up big plays? Mm-hmm. When you are playing deep safety, how many explosive plays per snap are you allowing? That is something that I look for at deep safety. I think controlling by alignment at safety is so. Important. You need to have a full understanding yeah. of if this guy's getting forced incompletions from the slot. Is he playing in the box? Is he playing deep safety? Is it too high looks? What coverage are they in? Like TCU plays plays a completely different set of coverages than Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. Like you need to look at so much more context to that position. I think the further away you get from the football, it's all about what you're asked to do. And I think you see these guys get asked to do a ton of different things. And you need to identify what kind of skill set does this kid have? Deep safety skill set, box, slot. I know there's some slot box hybrids in the NFL, but I think that's really important as well yeah.
1: yeah and that that's kind of the last thing here is that the the versatility coverage versatility of being able to match slot and deep routes so much more valuable than being able to tackle in the run game in a, as a box safety rule like that the box safety rule like I don't, I don't want to say it doesn't exist anymore there are schemes where it does but what's becoming more and more valuable at safety position is the coverage aspect what you can do to be able to match these offenses that can go to you know four wide with tight ends like Travis Kelsey and really threaten you um, in a number of different ways. That you have to have a safety that can match that. Like you have yeah. to have a safety that can come down and play the slot or play a number of different roles in coverage. And that's why it's a processing speed and like how smart are you because that's a lot of those things are vastly different. You're going to be asked to do vastly different things on back to back plays, and it's not necessarily. Like, if you're lost and don't know your role inside and out, you're going to be screwed. Yep. Until
0: next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.